AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush, quarantine edition, uh, here with Casey. How you doing, Casey? Hey, Chuck. I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing like probably we're all doing. Mm-hmm. Um, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, glad to be talking about this movie. Yeah, there is, isn't it, uh, this weird unifying thing that, like, you know, 9-11 happens and it's Americans going through something. Other things happen in other countries. But this is like worldwide synchronicity. It's the, yeah, it's the, the sort of like large unifying event that pretty much everyone on the planet is undergoing right now. And so weird. Yeah, there, there hasn't been, it's been a while since we've had something on that scale. So, um, you know, obviously it's, it's a terrible thing, but in a way it, it is kind of like bringing people together. So that's interesting. Yeah. Noel and I, uh, when we're doing these minis now, we asked on the, on the Facebook page for positives that are coming out of this because people are experiencing positives with this time and, uh, being at home and stuff. And I told Noel, I said, man, if, if 50% of the world comes out of this 5% better, that's a big change. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's focusing people back on maybe the essentials in life a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly we're not moving around like we used to, or like, you know, some of us are used to uh, traveling all the time and being in different places and having this feeling of kind of, uh, I don't know, just, just, crawling the globe a little bit yeah now we're like super tightly focused on the domestic and the neighborhood and you know just like uh not even a one mile radius around where we are you know so we're like hyper local now which is which is very interesting and um i think i think hopefully some some positives will come out of that yeah i've seen um the neighborhood really coming together and sharing things and uh because you know people don't want to go to stores so 
there's just this massive barter exchange going on all over the place uh, with porch drops and pickups. And it's uh, it's really neat. It makes you think like it, it, it's sad that it takes this to get people to come together like that. But hopefully that's something that sticks around, you know? Yeah, it seems like the best in people tends to come out in these uh, situations. So, so man. Um, yeah, there's there's always that that upside to it. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it just feels like there's there's everything before this and everything after this, you know? Yeah. And I certainly hope that, I mean, I know there's there's a lot of talk about when are things going to go back to normal, but right. I think, I think be the while. normal will be something different, you know? I think yeah. it's going to be permanently altered and hopefully mostly for the positive. Yep. I'm with you there, man. Um, what do you, what have you been doing? You've been watching a lot of movies or TV shows. You want to talk about anything you've been watching? <sighs> Let's see. What have I been watching? I mean, I've been, I'm, I'm here with my girlfriend and so she's been watching like a lot of series and I'm just kind of like glomming onto that. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, maybe later at night after she's gone to bed, I'll like put on a movie or something something more kind of my speed that's, you know, <laughs> typically a downer, typically something, you know, that's, that's not meant for, for group consumption. Um, but I really haven't been watching too much so far during the quarantine. Um, I watched this Russian documentary. Uh, it's well, it's about Russia. It's called Pripyat. It's actually about Ukraine, mm-hmm. but it's about, um, you know, Chernobyl, uh, just because I felt like, I don't know, looking at something that somehow related a little bit to our current, uh, predicament. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a documentary about just the handful of people that are still living in that town, Pripyat, where basically the, the meltdown happened or was the closest town to the, to the, to the plant. Um, and the people that have come back to live there, the people that never left, the people that still work at the power plant, um, well aware that the radiation is still everywhere and, um, have just chosen to, uh, you know, basically finish out their lives there because they know they're going to get sick. Yeah. Um, Pretty uplifting. And it's, yeah, yeah, right. Um, but it, in a way, it actually was kind of uplifting because um, in that film, you saw that people can adapt to basically anything and that in their own way, these people had chosen to be there and that they were happy with that choice because yeah. that was home to them and they just wanted to uh, stay there and not and not go somewhere else. So that was one thing I watched. Hang on, I'm going to pull up my letterbox real quick. Make sure I didn't forget anything else. You know, I feel bad. I, I encourage people to follow me on letterbox and then I used it for like two weeks and then stopped. Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that. <laughs> some, you know, it sticks with some people. Yeah. Um, I watched uh, Train to Busan the other day, which I hadn't seen yet. I have not seen that one. It's great. Good zombie movie. Oh, okay. I didn't even know this is like a zombie film. Zombies on a train. <laughs> Okay, well, I have not seen that done before. Yeah, it's sort so of like uh, Walking Dead, or uh, sort of like World War Z meets uh, Snowpiercer. Totally, um, I would, I would definitely watch that. Yeah, very well done though. Like you think you've seen it all in zombie movies, and it's such a tired genre, but uh, they managed to put a put a nice original spin on it. Really good and very moving, and it was very well developed. Uh, you know, Korea's just putting out such great stuff. Oh, it's Korean. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, um, looks like. The only other thing I've got here on my recently watched list is uh, Antonio Gaudi. It's a documentary about the the architect, Spanish architect, mm-hmm. who made those really insane, eccentric buildings. Um, beautiful, beautiful buildings. And it's made by a, a Japanese filmmaker, Teshigahara, who films them in, in stunning fashion. It reminded me of Malik a few times. Mm-hmm these like slow kind of push-ins and beautifully kind of uh, choreographed 
camera moves to kind of show the space and um, some very interesting work with sound as well. It's, it's almost no dialogue in the film. Um, the score is, is really, really well matched with what you're seeing. It has kind of an eerie sense. It plays a lot with silence and um, yeah, it was, it's, if, if you're looking for something that's kind of non-narrative, um, I definitely recommend checking that one out. It was, uh, it was on my list for a long time and I kept putting it off, putting it off. Cause I thought 60 or 70 minutes about buildings might be kind of dry, but yeah. it's actually, um, yeah, it's, it's one of the better shot things I've looked at in a long time. So, uh, worth checking out. Awesome. I will check that out. And yeah. I want to, I want to tell the listeners, you may hear some family noise coming yes. from upstairs. Do you hear it a little bit? I don't hear it at all. No, but, um, I mean, it happens, definitely. You might hear dogs barking here. Uh, you might hear people rummaging around in the kitchen just outside my room. Or who Yeah, knows what, for know. stuff you should know, I quarantined the family to the upstairs, upstairs. <laughs> I'm in the basement, so that's two floors away, including the dogs, because yeah. my one dog barks at fucking everything that walks by. Yeah. But uh, for Movie Crush, I'm just like, you know, if there are a few yeah. noises in there, it is what it is. It's casual. It's a hangout. It is. It's a hang. So we're, we're like, we're, you know, I have my bedroom here. The uh-huh. kitchen slash common area is just outside. Yeah, I remember and your then place. The other bedroom is just the other side. Uh-huh. So it's like, there's really nowhere to hide in here. Um, we're all kind of living on top of each other, but so is it's, it just it's the working three of out you? nicely. Yeah. And yeah. That's does it. Paul like your girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah. They get along. Okay, good. Um, everybody, you know, everybody, thankfully we're on the same, same wavelength as far as like, we're all pretty quiet. We're all pretty discreet. Right. We're all kind of like keep to ourselves and uh-huh. give each other space and all that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been really nice actually. Well, that's good. I mean, I mean it, that, that can't be easy, but uh, I'm glad that, you know, Paul's a good guy and you're a good guy and I'm sure your girlfriend's yeah. great. So yeah, I'm glad you're not like at each other's throats or anything. No, no, not, not too much of the whole cabin fever phenomenon yet. You good. know, we're not, we're not turning on each other yet. Good. <laughs> well, <laughs> give me, it a few months. Yeah. Right? Let me, if you guys decide to eat Paul, that'll be a short yeah, meal. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Yeah. I need to re- finish up our Sophia Coppola series before you do that though. So yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, I'll put it off till then. Apple card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, You deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. The Hyundai Santa Fe becomes available early 2024. So get on it now before all the good camping sites are full. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. 
Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Um, so you agreed, uh, thankfully, because, you know, the, the usual list of movies you send out is typical Casey Fair, which is to say, right. uh, I don't want to say downer material, but you have darker tastes. Not really, not really upbeat, you know, I think, I think realistic. Cause I don't like stuff that's like downer for the sake of being a downer, sure. you know, that's like trying hard, but I feel like most, um, uh, I don't know, most clear eyed views of life uh-huh. tend to, to at least integrate a lot of sadness into them along with the happiness. I think, I think yeah. both coexist, but, um, yeah, you're not a bubblegum guy. Um, but, no. uh, but I did request like, I, I would love to be comfort food for the listeners right now. And you threw out high fidelity and, Perfect, perfect comfort food film. Uh, yeah. I really love that you love this movie. And uh, it does not surprise me that you love this movie because it kind of has all the Casey elements. Um, it's got uh, snobbery. It's got, <laughs> <laughs> it's got great music. Um, it's got one of the better scripts ever, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Uh, and, a, and a weirdly overlooked Stephen Frears, I think. Um, yeah, it, it's, yeah. It's unusual for a director... To kind of take a back seat, uh, and I think Hornby's script, well, he didn't write it, but Cusack and his friends did, but sure. Horn- Hornby's original material and John Cusack, they they shine so bright in this movie that Stephen Frears is really allowed, is allowed to kind of fall into the background, which is not fair because it's, he does a great job. No, I mean, even even this time watching it, and I've seen this movie, you know, countless times, Same. it's one of those, you just throw on, yep. you watch, Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't even begin to imagine how many times I've seen it. Um but it's it's one of those that is deceptively simple or deceptively easy seeming because it's all so natural. It all just totally all the pieces fit together so well that you almost are not aware that there's a director working because it just seems like they That's turn it. the camera on yeah. and they're in this record store hanging out and it's just what it is. But you realize that, yeah, no, somebody had to make this film yeah. and, and for <laughs> it to feel so effortless is just a sign of, you know, how masterful it really is. Yeah. And the and the. um the lack of ego and confidence to take not a back seat, but you know, to, to be okay with uh, being almost invisible as a director. Right. Um, but you, you know, when you think of direction, I think a lot of people might think of just like, Oh, camera shots, but there's so much more that goes into it. The development of a character and all these characters is uh, Stephen Frears, fingerprints are very much on it. Um, it's not like John Cusack just waltzed in here fully formed. Um, there's a lot that goes into the formation of a character with a director and an actor. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean the the control of the tone throughout the whole thing, the the little the because I mean this this movie is kind of all over the map in terms of where it goes emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it feels it, it stays pretty lighthearted, but there is you know there's there's death and grief and angst over relationships and sort of a character asking himself what is the meaning of his life, what does he want in life, um, but it all stays in this kind of light comic register, yeah. which without feeling false, you know, without feeling like, 
um, it's being artificially kind of boosted in terms of the, the cheeriness of it. Yeah. it. It really earns that kind of perspective on life. And um, yeah, Freer's just, um, he kind of gets out of the way a little bit, but at the same time, he's very much in control. Yeah. And, you know, it, this is one of those films that when I'm watching it, I tend not to be so aware of the things that directorially he's doing mm-hmm. in terms of the camera, in terms of the the editing and so on. Um, even if this movie has a few moments that are somewhat showy, I mean, it has the direct address, it has kind of like any number of stylish um, elements and structurally it, it, it moves all over the place, yeah. you know? Um, but it just, it just, it goes down so smoothly and so naturally that um, you can, you can really lose sight of that. So it's, it's interesting to, in a way, it's a difficult movie to talk about kind of, because, um, there's not so many obvious things that the director is quote unquote doing right. that you can really glom onto. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, they're, uh, they're, they utilize flashbacks so well in that first act, um, with all the, the past, uh, relationships yeah. and that's, that's really, uh, that's really such a great way to set this movie up. And obviously what we're going to be talking about Nick Hornmead's novel, I assume you've read it. Yes. Yeah, I figured you did. I read it uh, many, many years ago because I couldn't even remember if I read it. Yeah. <laughs> it was so long ago. And then I was like, yeah, I totally read this book. I read it. I read it after having seen the movie. And it's one of those where Same the here. movie is so uh, impactful yeah. and so perfect uh, of a realization of that thing mm-hmm. that reading the book was basically like reading like an expanded screenplay or something. Yeah. It was basically just me picturing the characters and the actors from the movie mm-hmm. You know, in London, of course, because yeah. it's it's a different setting and um and all that. But still, it's it's for me, it was less like experiencing it as a book and more just kind of like, oh, so this is the material they were working with. Here's what they changed. Yeah. You know, um, it, it was more that it was it was really tough to to approach it just as a work of fiction or something. Yeah, and it's cool too. Uh, it's not like England is so different than America, but just the universality of the record store. Sno- yes. snobs and uh, yes. I don't remember you know this is Wicker Park in Chicago I don't know what uh, I can't remember what neighborhood it was in London yeah, I'm sure either. it was some like cool sort of you know burgeoning hipster neighborhood right exactly but uh, and it's it's the same as uh, you know I've been going to Wuck Street here in Atlanta since I was you know 15 years old and yeah. I went there a few months ago and uh, it's the exact same and the same dude owns wow. it and it's the same vibe man that that feeling that when you walk into a record store and you're buying, you're buying for you, but that you all also like, if you leave with five albums, like I guarantee you one of those is one that you're trying to impress the record store owner a little bit with. Yes. <laughs> you just want to get that, that head nod at checkout or whatever. It's, so funny. it's like, Oh, that's a cool record, you know? Yeah. yeah and it t- took so many years for me to build up the confidence to, uh, to be like, no, I just want to like what I like. I'm not to, un- to impress anyone else. Yeah, uh, but so much of this movie is about that. I mean, it's part of the fabric of this film, is criticism. You know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think. I mean, in a way, this film is obviously it's twenty years old now, so it's it's going to be a time capsule in mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form. But I think e- even more profoundly, it is a time capsule because I think it really captures an aspect of the culture um, that doesn't exist quite so much anymore in the same way Yeah, that has been changed. Um, just with, you know, the, the shift to, um, online streaming to the way that we consume music now. Um, there's, there's so much less of an emphasis on, I find on being cool, on knowing the right bands on, on being dialed into that. Some of that may have come with age Mm -hmm. for myself, but I really do think that, um, 
you know, uh, around the, 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 the early 2000s, that was when sort of Pitchfork was really like uh, becoming like the main, I don't know, epicenter of like hip music, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Totally. The whole kind of like hipster thing. Um, and, you know, if a band got like a 10.0 on Pitchfork, it was like you had to hear that album. Has like, anyone ever gotten a 10.0? <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And there, there have been even, um, you know, contemporary artists, not just reissues that got the 10.0, but I mean, it is something that like they only give a handful a year yeah. if that, and it's like an event when it happens. Cause it's totally. like, holy shit, yeah. what, what merited, you know, the perfect <laughs> score, especially if it's a new record from, There's a whole, from this one opinion. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, yeah. And so, um, and of course, Pitchfork is based in Chicago. So there's, there's mm-hmm. that connection too, or at least they were before they, they moved to New York. But, um, yeah, there used to be this this whole culture of like the the hipster kind of music snob, the person that's like into all the cool bands mm-hmm. and finds out that about like of. yeah that you've never heard of and and then goes deeper with like okay like you like Green Day but have you heard of this other band that like influenced them and yeah you know here's like this obscure like indie record that kind of like influences bigger band and so on all that sort of like kind of music scholarship stuff the kind of one-upmanship and so on. Uh-huh. I feel like we don't have as much now because people are just like playing playlists or going on YouTube or yeah, maybe so. Spotify. You know, it's just it's just kind of like, I feel like, well, because, you know, the, the, the big thing in this movie is physical media, right? Yeah. It's, it's the record store. You have to go to a place mm-hmm. where they have the music and you have to buy the music um, and it comes on, on a physical disc. And so it manifests itself as these, physical collections Mm -hmm. in, in houses and so on, uh, in apartments where it it is like, you know, as, as we see, it can be a form of like autobiography. Oh yeah. Looking at somebody's collection and feeling like, you know, so much about that person just by what records they have and so on. That's one of the great, that is, that's one of the great moments of the movie when, uh, exactly. Yes. He's he's reorganizing, (laughs) reorganizing and Dick comes over and it's such a thing. Dick is just like, Oh, like he's going to cancel his plans to help him. And he immediately dismisses. He's like, well, it's, it's not alphabetical because that is the most rudimentary based thing that one can do. Yeah. And when he says autobiographical, he's just fucking blown away. He just takes a moment. He's like, wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) But, but I mean that, that, that impulse, I feel like, um, it's hard to feel the same way about like, you know, uh, files in your iTunes collection oh, yeah. or, or just like the stuff that you've got favorited on, on your streaming app or whatever. They're just there. Um, yeah, it's just there. I mean, even, um, you know, my, my era was, was largely the CD era mm-hmm. and, and even that, you know, people, people would, um, some people obviously like the more hipstery people would be more into vinyl and, you know, with vinyl, you get like the larger, artwork you get the gatefold it's great That's like great. the liner notes are bigger um and it sort of like invites you to kind of you know look at it while you're listening to it mm-hmm. and have this kind of tactile experience of course you got to flip the record every few songs yeah. and so on so like the, all that you know the the way that we consume music has has really changed a lot um even even in terms of like listening on like a, a phone or something while you're on the go mm-hmm. having like earbuds in on the train or whatever um yeah, the the way we consume music has really, really changed a ton in the last uh, twenty years, and it feels like this movie is like a time capsule of that period. Yeah, like five minutes before all that changed, you know. Yeah, it is sort of at the tail end. Um, although I will say, go into any record store now because I started um, buying vinyl again a couple of years ago, and it's uh, it is a, a time capsule. You're right back there 
and flipping through those records is just like pure joy. And uh, oh, it's the best. It's, yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah. And uh, John, like this came out when I was uh, 28, 29 years old. So I was kind of right there at his age. Right. Uh, it was the perfect movie for me. And so there were things that happened in the movie, love relationship wise, that kind of mirrored some things sure. that I had gone through. So I really felt like, and I, and I know a lot of people feel uh, a lot of ownership stake in this film, and I, I certainly did. Oh yeah, I, I one thousand percent could identify with aspects of, you know, the the three male kind of record store clerks, um, the archetypes. <laughs> yeah, the archetypes exactly, because they really are kind of boiled down to archetypes. You have sort of, you know, the Jack Black, the the kind of boisterous, mm-hmm. opinionated guy who's going to throw you out of the record store for asking for this, the wrong Stevie Wonder record or whatever. Right, but also play Walking on Sunshine. Exactly, yeah. He has like a, a kind of, um, I don't know, he's he's willing to be, I don't know what the word would be, sentimental or corny uh-huh. or, you know, he's, he's on, open on to that. On his terms. But on his terms, exactly, yeah. exactly. And if, if you happen to fall outside those terms, then you're like enemy number one, you know, you can't be trusted because your yeah. case is bad. <laughs> um, they have, you know, the... He's so the, good. The, the, yes, he, oh man, I mean... Every scene, um, he just he just kind of uh, dominates when he's when he's in there. He's, yeah. he's just uh, such a such a familiar kind of guy. It feels like we all have known that guy. Yeah. Um, the 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 Todd Loizzo character. He's great. Um, the kind of I, I, that's a one thousand percent a type mm-hmm. of guy that yeah. that I've met many many times <laughs> at shows and so on. Um, you know, quieter. He's got the messenger bag. Yeah. He's like, he says, um, a lot. And and you can tell when he's saying, um, he's not even saying it because he can't think of the next thing he's going to say. Yeah. It's like a tick where he's like, totally. he's, he's trying to kind of, I don't know, smooth it or, or, or make himself a little bit more approachable or something. Yeah. This guy, uh, he, um, in my mind, he marries Anna. Like, yeah, that's who yeah, this sure. guy is. He, he marries, Absolutely. he marries his first girlfriend and you kind of get the sense that Anna is that first girlfriend. Uh, which his his sort of sweet demure sensibilities uh, makes it so effective later on when he's the one that goes craziest in the fantasy sequence when <laughs> yes, he, with the, fucking, the air conditioner. Yeah, and yeah. he knocks those looks like chicklets out of his mouth with the phone. Yeah, yeah, it's such a great scene. <laughs> I love that, and I just want to say that the the actor Todd Loizzo, mm-hmm. also a film director made a great, great Philip Seymour Hoffman film called Love, Liza. Have you seen that one? Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. loved, I loved, loved that movie. Um, he's, uh, he's popped up in little small roles in a lot of movies. Uh, he was in Snakes on a Plane, weirdly enough. Yeah, he was in Jerry Maguire. I think he played the, uh, maybe the babysitter or something in a couple of scenes. But, right, But has right. a really important right. scene where he kind of counsels Jerry. And um, yeah, he doesn't pop up much, but I think he's really good. Yeah, and um, I don't know that that Love Liza film. It's it's too bad that it doesn't seem like he's made. He's directed a few other films, but nothing in that same register. I don't think um, that was that, a tough that movie. one's a real downer. Yeah, it's a downer. It's big, a downer. But you know, great uh, great Jim O'Rourke score to that film. Oh, I didn't know that and, you did that. Yeah, and, and Jim O'Rourke is is kind of uh, you can see one of his records in, in High Fidelity. Uh-huh. Um, there's you know there's there's like references uh in the background to like drag city the label that he was on for a lot of the yeah, 90s great label um yeah so um i had that pavement poster uh, by the way oh the one in the apartment yeah it's so it's like yeah. featured so heavily because it's right by the entrance right yes, by the door yeah every every time he comes in you're looking at that pavement poster yeah, yeah i always wanted that thing and um emily got me a a 
rock poster book, like a just a huge thing. Cool. And yeah. it was in there, man. And, you know, they're perforated so you can tear them out and frame them. So that's actually sure, sure. behind me in my band room right here on the wall. Oh, that's fantastic. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, just the... I mean, it's, again, physical, physical objects, you know, yeah. and, the, and the stories we tell ourselves about them and the, and the significance they have in our lives and everything um, is, is such a big part of what this movie is about. The comfort of the tactile, the physical, you know, not the virtual. Yeah. And these guys who uh, obsessively make lists, like lists are yes. a big part of this. That was a big part of Hornby's novel, obviously. Um and, you know, it, it's sort of that's the framework of the film is the the list of the girlfriends. And it's such yes. a clever, great way to start it uh, in that first act. When he goes through this list, um, he's he's obsessively ranking things. That first girlfriend, a relationship lasted for six hours. The two yes. hours after school before the Rockford Files, three days yes. in a row. Rockford Files. And then so he funny. gets his, you know, he goes through each one of these girls uh, meeting them later in life. And it's, he's absolving himself, but it, it sort of occurs to you as you're watching this film that he is, he's not redeemed until the very end. He's a, just a narcissistic prick, sort of. That's one thing that, that really stuck out to me watching it this time versus like when I was 20 years younger and, you know, I could, I could maybe, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see as much of a, I, I didn't see his flaws as much because I was, still very much in that same mindset as, yeah. as him watching a little you know? bit older as you're like, wow, yeah. there's not much like, to this guy. He's uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, like when, especially when, um, what's her name? The, 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 you know, the, his, uh, the main, the main girlfriend. Um, yeah. How do you pronounce her name? Any idea? Laura is, is the movie, uh, character, but I don't know how you pronounce uh, that. Even Isle, I think is, okay. is, Sort sort of in the neighborhood. She I hasn't been around it. a lot. She was so good in this, and then just kind of. I know she's done a lot of stuff, but nothing as high profile as this. I feel like. Yeah, I, she was in a, a Lars von Trier film um, about six years after this came out um, called "The Boss of It All," mm-hmm. which was one of his like lesser seen kind of movies. Um, but yeah, I, I I have not seen her in, in very much else, and um, her performance in this is great. Yeah, she's like, fantastic. I do feel like there there are a few scenes where maybe there's a few line readings that feel maybe a little stiff, but there's something about her, just her presence mm-hmm. feels so natural and so grounded mm-hmm. and so right for the character that she's playing. Um, that is sort of like, it, it's weird because in a way the movie is about settling in a certain sense. Yep. It's about compromise. It's about, you know, growing up and, and being realistic about um, relationships yeah. and not just wanting this like male fantasy that doesn't really exist in the real world. Right. Uh, as he says near the end, you know, the reason that the fantasy is so appealing is because it doesn't exist and it can't exist. Right. And it's, it's basically a, a byproduct of not knowing that person very well yet. You can project uh, only good things onto them and fill in all the blanks. Yeah. And then when you get to know a person, they're, they're a three dimensional rounded person with flaws and everything. And that fantasy goes away when he talks about, you know, uh, like the underwear, for instance, uh-huh. he's like, I used to think women just wore amazing underwear all the time. Yeah. And then you live with one and you realize like, oh no, there's like granny panties and you like know, they, like, they only wear their best underwear on the night they think they might have sex. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you, you kind of, you, you become aware of, um, of like femininity as a kind of performance in a way, uh-huh. um, that, that, that when you're young, you just kind of think maybe women are naturally that kind of 
beautiful and perfect looking. Yeah, because um, you know that's made up, you know, that's glamorous. the problem of uh, of growing up as a young boy and learning about not really learning about women, but thinking you're learning about women. Yeah. By watching television and movies and and looking at Playboy magazines in the woods and stuff <laughs> yes. like that. Like none of that shit does did any of us any favors as far as the Absolutely reality not. of like no, women are human beings just like us and the narcissism of a man. It's this movie just nails it so perfectly to be like, well, you know, you should always just be wearing lingerie around the <laughs> yes. house or something. It's just like it really just nails the male point of view and how wrong that is in so many ways yeah and it's it's fascinating because he is a more self-aware kind of character um in a certain sense because he's talking about himself he's reflecting on his life he's um but it's all about him but it's all about him it's very narcissistic and even to the extent that he is self-aware where he can say like i am an asshole or something yeah um there's still a deeper layer of unawareness that still persists, even as he thinks of himself as like a more highly evolved kind of male. Cause he's not, you know, like a dumb jock or something like, yeah. you know, like we would, like we would say, especially, you know, a snobby hipster would say about other types of people. Yeah. It's like, Oh no, 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 no. I'm, I'm a thinker. I read books. I watch an interesting films. Um, <laughs> Red love in the time know, of cholera. Exactly. About girls, I, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, um, you know, they, it, it's easy to flatter yourself and, and think that you are, um, yeah, this, this kind of like highly evolved being or something, but it just goes to show that, that, that sort of, um, yeah, that, that really kind of male perspective just persists no matter, no yeah. matter where you are kind of in that hierarchy. Yeah. And they even say it, you know, in that one, uh, great line, he says that we, you know, we kind of figured out that uh, you are what you like, not what you are like. Yeah. Um, but that's so not true. And um, right, that's, right. that's part of his problem as a character, I think, is that everything is reduced. Like he he reduces each of his exes to these archetypes. There was right. the uh, the pretty nice girl prude. There was the sensitive girl who was rejected, uh, Lily Taylor. Yeah. There's Charlie, the, uh, you know, the sexy worldly. Uh, and Catherine Seta-Jones is so good in this. She's like the the one that got away, or the one where he was quote unquote dating outside his punching you know, up his or whatever. league or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah but exactly. he realizes that she's an asshole. She's shallow right. and superficial, right. but he is too. Yet he sees her flaw, not his own. Yeah, she's so good in this though. She has so many great little lines. There's that one small moment. This movie has so many little small moments that you can almost not notice. But uh, when he flashes back to her, and and first of all, I love all the old versions of Cusack. It says so much about the character. Like, he's <laughs> yes. like the, the clash punk in the scene. He's this emo guy yes. in the scene. But um, yeah. when they're when, when they're hanging out and she goes and she sort of straddles him in that big, huge, crowded room mm -hmm. and he kisses yeah. her and she just goes, kiss my neck. And he does. Yeah. He obeys. Yeah. And that's such yeah. a like little small moment. But that is that is that 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 woman. Um, yeah. He's kissing her and she's like, no, kiss me here. Yeah. Like she's sort of in charge, you know? Oh yeah. She has all the power in that, in that relationship. And, you know, as, as, as the movie shows, like the whole time he's with her for a couple of years, he's, he's worried that he's going to be found out at any moment. He feels like an imposter, you know, yeah. he feels like he's not at ease because uh -huh. he just has this sense that he doesn't deserve it or, um, you know, he's not cool enough. He's not on her level right. and that sooner or later she's going to realize that. 
and she kind of does. You yeah. know that that when she ultimately gives him the reasons for Marco. breaking up. Yeah, Marco, <laughs> which is so perfect too. That's another like, little hey, great he just moment. Seemed, uh, he just seemed more sunny. You know, yeah. he just seemed a little shinier, less high maintenance, and and you know. Um, that was she's brutal. Right. She's she's dead on. Yeah. Um, I love the, another one little detail, character detail that I loved was, uh, and it comes into play a few times is John Cusack jumping over the counter yes. instead of walking around, and yes. he even does it. Uh, he does it a couple of times in the movie where, or, or in the record store, where the you know it's four feet away to walk around the thing, but he leaps over the thing, and then he does it. I never noticed this until today. I, I just finished watching it. He, at the very um, end when Laura's dad dies, he goes to the funeral, he leaves in the rain, a lot of good rain scenes, and he goes to the the bus bench and he jumps over the bus bench. He hops the fence. He hops the, well, he hops the bench and sits down and then he hops the fence to like lay down in the flower bed. But it's such a funny little character thing that was obviously very purposeful, you know? That's funny, yeah. That's like his move. That's like his thing he does when he wants to like convey like action I or guess like so. agility or something. Yeah, yeah, it's very funny. Um, yeah, and it's funny too when he does it in the record store. Like I, at least the first time he does it, he like eats shit. You know, he like he, he falls over the counter uh-huh. and like gets, he's trying to turn off uh, Katrina in the waves. I think yeah. that Jack Black has put on. <laughs> um, so Lisa Bonet comes in. Uh, she does a great job as the muse, and I think it's I haven't seen the TV show yet. But I think it's right, super it's, cool it's her daughter. Yeah, that yeah, she plays yeah. that character. Uh, yeah. I think I'm going to give it a shot. I've heard it's good. But um, how all these guys are so smitten with Lisa Bonet. And, uh, you know, I obsessively look at, and we've talked about this before, at the movie clock as far as the screenwriting paradigm of sure. the first plot point, second plot point, And it always falls at like 30 minutes. Right. So I was watching it today and Lisa Bonet, uh, Bonet comes in at 23 minutes, which is a little early. And I thought, oh, that's a little bit early. But that's a red herring. That is not the plot point. The, pl- right. the plot point is at 31 minutes, and that's when you learn about Ian. Interesting, interesting. That's totally it, man, because that's what spins his... Lisa Bonet sure. is just... Uh, she's there to serve as sort of a temporary muse, but Ian's... Right, right. The revelation that Ian... What fucking oh, Ian yeah. guy! The dreaded Ian. Yeah, yeah, that's the plot point. And then right after that, he finishes top top five really quickly right after yeah. that kind of sealing that first act thread yeah and of course he 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 leaves charlie out of the list because he's like i'm i'm not ready for that one yet or laura so yeah that's right that's right yeah um but but you know with, with charlie it's like he's you know he says um he kind of he holds her picture up and then he says but i'm not ready for that one yet right and then she actually contacts him uh-huh. a little later in the film and it kind of restarts that sort of um visiting all the exes yeah. sequence over again which is interesting structurally it is that you kind of introduce this top five list and then very quickly you're skipping one and then also there's the thing where he names like the kind of inconsequential relationship as number five uh-huh. but he has to admit to himself like okay i actually just put that one in there because i wanted to keep you laura right. out of the top five <laughs> but now i have to admit i'm i'm broken yeah and uh yes you you made the top five yeah well he has that great um part early on when she first breaks up with him and the movie starting out with a breakup is really pretty ingenious but when he finally uh, goes to the window and screams out if you really wanted to hurt me you should have gotten to me sooner yeah and there's so many lines in this movie that i'm just like oh my god to write a line like that just is it's a movie just chock full of perfect perfect lines and it's it's very true i think um one of the things about maturing is that you know 
when a relationship does end, when I've had breakups, when I've been, you know, a little bit older, mm-hmm. it's still, it's still really hard. It's yeah. still pretty devastating. But at the same time, you have more perspective on it. And there's, there's less of like a sense of the world ending, I guess, than when you're like a teenager or in your twenties. Oh man, the teenage you know, stuff, like yeah. it, losing that first girlfriend is just, you think it's, you're never going to get over it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And so there's a, there's a, there's kind of a sadness in a way of getting to be older and the same thing happens and you kind of realize like, yeah, it sucks, but I'll get through it and life will go on, you know? Yeah. In a way that's, that's more evolved. That's more, um, more developed, more mature at the same time. It's kind of like, yeah, but I kind of wish it would still hurt the way it did yeah, back then because yeah. that means on the flip side, it's that much more intense as well. I don't know. Well, and also means um, you're, uh. I don't know, maybe you're, you feel more alive when you're, you exactly. feel the most dead emotionally or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's well, great. Well, it's like you, you're, you're, you, you have less experience, so everything is still more new. So like, yeah. um, it's like, uh, I don't know when you're a little kid and you like skin your knee for the first time, it's yeah. like agony, you know, uh-huh. you, you've never <laughs> known pain before and you're like, what is this? I, this is the worst, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you get to be a little older and it's just like, yeah, okay. Banged up my knee, no big deal, you know? Yeah, um, I, I think a, another interesting thing, the, the movie structurally is a little o- odd in that, um, like what you were talking about, where it places certain things um, yes. and plot points, and you don't learn until, uh, I guess it's about halfway through the movie, after you've learned of Ian, and you're like, oh my god, she's betrayed him with this this fucking world music guy. Uh, <laughs> yes. And Tim Robbins, by the way, he's in the movie for two minutes and 50 seconds, and it's so impactful. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, it feels like he's in it for way more than that because every second he's on screen is just hilarious. <laughs> but um, you learn of the four transgressions. He admits right. to, uh, and the way he, they shot that scene is great because he's admitting to through the fourth wall to the to the yes. viewer in real time as Laura is telling uh, Liz Joan Cusack, who's all, always great, um, yes. about the four transgressions. After you spent this entire first first act setting him up as a victim which works perfectly because that's what the narcissist would do is lead right. lead everyone to believe that he had his heart broken and he was just nothing but always there for her. He exactly. doesn't tell people that he cheated on her and that she it's was never pregnant. His fault. Yeah, yeah, it's never his yeah. fault, but it is all his fault. Yeah, yeah. And he does he does thankfully, I mean he gets that perspective by going through this exercise of, you know, going back and kind which of which is narcissistic uh, in and of itself. Right, right. And it's the kind of thing where maybe uh, obviously probably should be accomplished just by therapy or, you know, just thinking, reflecting back on your life and having some perspective on it. But I mean, it's great to see it illustrated in this way. And for the film, obviously it's more cinematic to, uh, to actually have those encounters in person and to see him kind of realize that, um, you know, in the case of his, uh, his first girlfriend, it's like, Oh, she literally married the next guy that she kissed on the bench. Right. So that part's funny. He feels better. Yeah. Uh, and I love that scene with, I think that's, um, John Travolta's mom or no, no, no. Oh, is it? No, Travolta's mom plays Laura's mom. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, this lady's like, no, you weren't the first boyfriend. And he's like, oh no, I really was. I was first. No, no, no. She's like, no, you really weren't. But his narcissism is never more fully on display than the second girlfriend, the quote unquote prude who reveals that he kind of ruined her and she was basically raped and yeah, and had yeah. a, and probably still has a bad relationship with sex because right. of the pressure he put on her and it's yeah. a heavy scene and she leaves and immediately afterward 
he feels happy and absolved and it's just he fucking takes it, brutal. Yeah. 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 He, in that moment, his reaction is just kind of like, great. That's another one I don't have to worry about. Uh, I broke up with worst. her. It wasn't about me. I was, you know, and of course it was all about him. Yeah. It was all his fault. It was all his doing. It was all his sort of uh, immaturity at that age to kind of that sort of superficial single minded uh-huh. emphasis on like sex over just the relationship as a whole where sex would have come sooner or later, naturally anyway. But he just had this sort of like, um, as as most guys do, or many guys do anyway, um, this kind of like single-minded focus on just like, I want to have sex. I don't want to be a virgin. Right. Um, You're, you're not a a man until you do um, uh, just, just this kind of like one dimensional Mm -hmm. view of everything. Like, are you doing it or are you not doing it? It's because what we're taught like, and that's everything you hear. And uh, yeah, yeah. You know, you're a little kid. You don't know. You don't know what the fuck is going on. Right. So you're just going off of these cues that you pick up from pop culture and media and then other boys on the playground who hears things from their older brothers and none of it's correct. <laughs> and all the, uh, you know, all the music that he's listening to where it just, yeah. I mean, that is kind of the, where, where it's all headed. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, and I feel like even, even culturally, I feel like we've maybe turned a corner from that a little bit since mm-hmm. even 20 years ago. Yeah, I think um, so. So, uh, you know, hopefully I think boys these days are, are growing up with a little bit more of a well-rounded view of things, but. Well, you know I'm why? Sure still... It's f- mothers and fathers teaching their sons exactly. better than yeah, uh, we were taught. Right. Perhaps. Right. It's, it's that sort of like, it's a, it's a generational shift where, um, yeah, people are becoming a little bit more aware of that stuff. And yeah, and hopefully it will, it will make for, I don't know, healthier, healthier sort of attitudes Mm -hmm. towards these things from an earlier age. So that uh, you don't have to get into your late twenties to figure some of that out, you know? Yeah. uh, Then he goes to Lily Taylor um, and uh, has a chance to sleep with her probably, but he has that great line. Another one of those great, uh, I don't know if it was Nick Hornby. He probably reworked it to fit the American version, but he says it'd be like sleeping with Talia Shire and Rocky. If you're not Rocky. (laughs) Yes. 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 So specific. So specific and funny. It was really good. Um, And I also thought it was interesting. And again, just pure narcissism. The only thing he cares about. And the, the, the one question that he asks Laura is if the sex is better with Ian. Right. Right. He's still so wrapped up in his own, performance and his own manhood and it's just it's so pitiful you know and it makes her laugh she's like seriously that's what you're worried about like yeah not you know the relationship that we built over how many years it's been yeah and um and and the sort of deeper question of like i don't want to be with you anymore that should have been it for her that should have sealed the deal yeah 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 she's you know, if there's if there's a critique to be made of the movie, I guess it's that she gets back together way, with him. <laughs> yeah, she gets back together with him. That she ultimately forgives him. Yeah. That, um, you know, because he 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 really doesn't. Um, I mean, he he does he does have some more insight. You know, he gains some insight, but he's still a work in progress, very much. And um, in a way, he's kind of rewarded at the end for for bad behavior. Yeah. In terms of sort of pseudo stalking her, even yeah, um, for sure. After the breakup has happened, you know, he does not uh, certainly does not respect boundaries, no. and and uh, he keeps pushing, 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 until it's really just her father dying that kind of mm-hmm. uh, creates that window of opening where she knows that this Ian guy is not going to be the one. He's not who she wants in that time of crisis, yeah. and you know, her big relationship is this guy that has already kind of been 
you know, hounding her and so on. So it kind of just, it's almost like a moment of weakness for her that she mm-hmm. gets back with him. And they even, they even acknowledge yeah. that he's like, you know, um, she's so like, you're I, saying I can't that, not what it's too easy to, or too hard to not be with you or something like what was yeah, it? She uses yeah. some weird double negative there that kind of really Right, fit. right. It's just like, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's returning to something comfortable and familiar, yeah. you know, when, when she is really looking for that, having lost her dad. So, um, yeah, in, in a way the movie, um, is kind of, yeah, like I said, he's, he's being rewarded for behavior that he probably should not have been rewarded for. Yeah. And, um, and in a way he doesn't fully maybe learn the lesson, um, that he might've otherwise, if he had just like lost her permanently. Yeah. Although I will say why that sequence works with the funeral is because, um, he doesn't go in there with that in mind. Right, he, right. He doesn't. He's not the one thinking, "Hey, I have an opening here. She's weak. Sure. She's sad." They played that just right because that would have been, yeah, that would have been too much for that character. Uh, exactly, he would have yeah. been unforgivable. But he, um, and I, this is the situation that mirrored my life. That exact fucking thing happened to me. Wow. I had an wow. I had an ex girlfriend, a sort of recent ex girlfriend whose grandmother died, mm. and uh, she got together with me one night, and because she wanted to forget and just feel something yeah. else. And right. I thought like, hey, are we back together? We were not back together. Uh, but, it, yeah. and this happened sort of, I think this movie came out a f- three years after that happened. Wow. So I was just wow. like, oh my God. Like This is my life on screen. Yeah, that happens in real life. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes, uh, well, you get that great music cue when um, you learn that she hasn't had sex with Ray with We Are the Champions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which is so funny. I mean, it's, again, it's such a... Such a, uh, I don't know, a, a kind of hilariously male thing to be yeah. that obsessed with, like, because, I mean, it, she, you know, there's that whole, the whole discussion about the word yet, uh-huh. um, where she says, you know, well, I haven't, I haven't done it with him yet. All right, everyone, you hear a kazoo? <laughs> it's because we have another little visit from my daughter. We do. Ruby, do you want to say hi, at least, to everyone? Hi. What have you been doing today? Hi, Ruby. Playing. Playing what? Playing go high and seek. Playing go hide and seek. All right, kiddo, <laughs> you need to give me a little bit more time. I'm almost done. <laughs> hey, you can't stay in here. I, I know you want to. So that happened with uh, Noel as well. She popped in for a little visit. Oh, so yeah. I'm, I'm just leaving those small windows in. <laughs> sure, sure. Of course. Um, and actually, speaking of windows, nice transition. Uh, Emily wanted me to mention that. We always talk about her uh, watching movies because she loves the apartment or the house or whatever. And right. uh, she said, oh, make sure you mention Marie DeSalle's uh, uh, window room. Yeah. And she's like, it's yeah. one of her favorite things in any movie ever is this loft that she constructed these window walls out of these yeah. old windows. And uh, so she wanted me to mention that. Yeah. It's, I, I, we, uh, I was watching with my girlfriend. We, we both kind of like noticed that. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Uh, the other night. Yeah. Uh, so Marie DeSalle serves as the perfect kind of like I said earlier, temporary muse. Um, she is, I don't even think she qualifies quite as a red herring. No. But I, I would argue that the red herring is Natasha Gregson Wagner at the end. Yes. Who is this super cute music journalist, and he makes her this mixtape, and she serves as ultimately what is a sort of his final test. Yeah, exactly. She's like the... Because she, in, in that in that sort of like you know less mature male mindset, 
she is that sort of manic pixie dream girl, yeah. like the perfect male fantasy of like the girl who is into all the same cool bands mm-hmm. that you are. And like, you can just spend hours talking about records and films and, you know, um, obviously she's super cute and, but also has this kind of like, uh, deferential quality to him, which where, he needs. Yeah. Which he needs. He needs to kind of like, even though they, they, they know a lot of the same music and so on. She even writes about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he still needs to feel like the one who is like the expert expert, you know, so that he can kind of like be, Oh, I'll make you a mixtape and I'll like yeah. show you these bands that maybe you don't know about. So and, narcissistic still. And she's like, Ooh, <laughs> I would love that. And you know, by the way, do you know she's uh, Natalie Wood's daughter, I, the actress? Yeah, I did know that. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, she hasn't been in a ton of stuff over the years. She's been she was in that really good movie with uh, Heather Graham and Robert Downey Jr. Uh, about oh. like the threesome. Uh, what was the what name? What is of that called? I can't remember. Yeah. I saw it way back when, and she's been in a couple of other things. But uh, she's she seems to be a little choosier, maybe with what she right. wants to do. Yeah. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. The Hyundai Santa Fe becomes available early 2024, so get on it now before all the good camping sites are full. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Um, so jumping back, the uh, the big question finally gets asked by Liz, and I think it's one of the most pivotal points in the movie, is when she says, why do you even want to get back together with her so badly? Right. And he has no answer. And they kind of yeah. cut it at the right time. And 
that's when it all comes into full view as a viewer that like, is it her or is it his ego that has been wounded? And is, is it just that? Is it just about saving face? Is it just about like recovering something that was taken from him, you know, um, so that he can feel like he's back in control or that, you know, he's, he's kind of, uh, righted or wrong or something, but ultimately, yeah. Is it, is it a question of him actually wanting to be in that relationship or not? That's something that he has to figure out. And ultimately he realizes, yes, I do. Like, I, I want to turn this corner. I want to kind of, you know, move on to a different phase of life where, I'm not just preoccupied 24 hours of the day with like breakups and exes and Mm -hmm. what's wrong with me and why does no one like me and and all that stuff. Yeah. And that, that line that serves as sort of the the second plot point, which spins us into the third act because that's when he finally starts to explore a little bit about what he loved about her, not just how being with her made him feel. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of the first time he's not completely superficial and shallow. It's the first little peak that you're actually going to get a character arc, which is much later in movies than usual, I think. Sure. Yeah, you're you're kind of, um, you're trusting that the, the viewer is going to stick with the character long enough to um, to finally come around and, and have some, some, some change, some development, some, some insight, which is, which is interesting. It's, it's not so much a, like a three act, like hero's journey kind of thing. Yeah he kind of all the insight happens right there at the end. Uh-huh. He kind of have this, has this like Eureka moment where, where it all clicks into place a little bit. Yeah. They had that great scene with, um, when she is in his apartment, when he gets home and she's reading the top five job dream jobs, which are yeah. hysterical because they're so specific. And so like, not just, I want to write for Rolling Stone. It's like, I want to write for Rolling Stone for these three years. During a certain time period, which is well, in the past, oh, yeah. which is basically, you know, he's, he's made like three out of his five dream jobs are impossible. Uh-huh. They will never happen. You <laughs> she know, says, well, you don't want to be King of France. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, such a good yeah, line. It's, it's, it, it's very funny. Cause I mean, it's, it just shows a kind of, um, I don't know, self-sabotaging, self-defeating behavior of, of a certain kind of, uh, personality, um, that, that he would define his goals mm. as things that are just, on their face, never going to be achievable, you know? It says everything about on. him. Yeah, yeah, that he's never, um, I don't know. I mean, it's like he says at one point, I think, um, it was easier in a way to uh, to not try because yeah. to try is to risk failure. Yeah. And so by, by not trying and by just kind of like persisting in this like uh, purgatory state, this sort of in-between limbo, mm-hmm. um, he was quote-unquote keeping his options open, but... That's nothing. Yeah. That's, you know, that's not living a life, basically. Yeah. He's a guy who lives in a fantasy world. Uh, you know, he's the fantasy of these women, the fantasy of these jobs, instead of the reality, which she rocks him into, which is, and she even says so. She's like, what about record store owner? Like, yeah. you kind of have a dream job. Right. Uh, and then, you know, it sets up that great, uh, that that final sort of redemption that, he decides to put something into the world. He invents this record label sort of on the spot, right, which right. is out of character for him to put himself out there like that. And um, that the, the way they organize it all, that's right before the funeral stuff, mm-hmm. which is interesting because he kind of has that redemptive moment. Then they spin that right into the funeral when he sleeps with her in the car. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to, I wonder if there were alternate versions where things were sort of, because you could rearrange this movie a little bit. 
Oh, sure. And still have it be tell the same story and be successful. Yeah, that that is a very interesting question. Whether there was any restructuring in the edit, because uh, like you said, you could you could kind of piece this puzzle together quite differently if you wanted to, yeah. with a little bit of uh, voiceover rewrites, reshoots, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, you could you could completely change the structure. So I wonder how much of that was there in the script, and how much of that was found, um, you know, in in the process of cutting the film together. But I, yeah. I would not be surprised if, if you know, some pieces here and there moved around. Yeah, I think more so than other films, it has a little bit of uh, flexibility with how you could structure it. It's very nonlinear. And, you know, he can he can kind of jump forward and back in time. Uh-huh. And we can even revisit something that we've already seen earlier in the film where he gives us more information about something. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. I mean, the film is like... Um, uh, one one thing I did I did pick up on watching some of the uh, the extras for this, um, they talked about how in the initial you know few drafts of the screenplay, all the stuff that was direct address was just written as VO. Right. He didn't want and, to do it. I don't think. Right. 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 And so you know pretty quickly they they came around to the idea that no actually we should probably do direct address because these are some of the most compelling moments in the film yeah. in terms of what he's actually saying. And there's the a lot of it too. Forth. And there's so much of it. Yeah. It's like, what would you do? I mean, what would you even show like him just, you know, in the record store and some VO or something, it, it just wouldn't feel right. So because the, the, the movie in a way, I mean, it's, it's, it's very much from his perspective. It's all coming from his mm-hmm. head, you know, it's the way he thinks it's the way he sees the world. It's the way he organizes events, you know? Yeah. So you have to have his, his sort of, um, you have to have his character basically in control of the movie for it to work, I think. Yeah, and the fourth wall thing is, um, it's such a tough thing to pull off well, and it's been done, uh, it's certainly been done before. Um, Ferris Bueller comes to mind. Right. And other films uh, that that heavily used it. Um, right. This, this may use it more heavily than any movie. Maybe Alfie, which also worked well, I think. Right, right. But... Um, it's a tough thing to pull off, and I get why Cusack is, I get why an actor period is is reticent to go there because it is done so seldomly, um, so well as this. But it, I think yeah, Freer's I mean, kind of talked like, them into it. Yeah, it's like it's like, um, I mean, it's it's the thing that we're taught to not do in screenwriting or in filmmaking, yeah. which is you know you don't just come out and tell the audience something; you're supposed to show it in some way. Yeah. So if you just have the guy talking to camera and kind of explaining how he feels or what happened in his life or so on, there's a big risk that it's going to feel too literal or too just unimaginative, not dynamic. But yeah. if you notice when, when those scenes are happening, they always like, it's almost a sort of reality outside reality mm-hmm. where for instance, he's like walking around Chicago mm-hmm. and you don't really get the sense that there's like, uh, a lot of life happening around him. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the streets are empty. Um, it's almost a sort of dream state or something um, where you can tell you're, you're more sort of within the realm of his mind a little bit than just a guy walking down a real street or something. Yeah. And that kind of offsets the the tone. And I mean, I yeah, and I love the the kind of play where even within a scene, things will happen. He kind of turns to camera mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, adds another layer to it. Again, these are, like you said, these are things that we see in, in other works, but um, there's something about the way it's done here. Maybe it's something about the, the just like the, 
the the quality that that uh, Cusack has as an actor, as a presence on screen, yeah. as somebody that we want to root for, that we can relate to. Yeah. You know, he's that, the everyman that, in a lot of ways. Yeah, he's the everyman, but he, he can also convey uh, like thoughtfulness and, and intelligence and mm-hmm. um, relatability and and all that in a way that um, I don't think most actors would would be able to achieve with the same material. Yeah, it's interesting. You were talking about the um, and this is what always happens with the fourth wall is is we're meant to believe that everything around him is suspended and you're addressing camera, but um, they do something I haven't really seen much. And at the very end, and I never noticed it till today, uh, at the very end, he's doing one of his monologues and Laura hears it and she says she references it and she, I can't remember what the line was, but she asked him, she's like, what did you just say about something? And it's sort of a, That's very interesting. a little yeah. cheeky, clever thing because they don't, he doesn't look back at the screen and be like, what? Did she just hear yeah. me? Um, yeah. th- but it's interesting that they chose to do that at all. And I'm uh, I'm kind of wondering why. It's, it's really because they never... It's not like a payoff or anything. It's just a just a little nod or something. Maybe it means, maybe it means that she can finally hear him, right? Or, or, yeah. or maybe it's saying something about the character, or, or that he's let he's let her in. Yeah, you know? maybe that's what he's, it is. He's, he's given her. I mean, he now kind of shares that 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 internal world with another person in a way, whereas before it was something that he kind of kept. Yeah. To himself. Yeah, maybe you that's know? it. Um, I'd be curious to yeah, um, very interesting. hear about that. You know, Cusack is. Uh, this is one of the three films he's been roadshowing. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, last year, past couple of years, he's gone on tour. And uh, depending on what city you're in, he'll do Say Anything, High Fidelity, or Gross Point Blank. Sure. And then screen it and do a Q&A afterward. And uh, some of the movie crushers have been to these, and they said it's a lot of fun to go to. But um, it's, I have, it, you know, I love John Cusack as an actor, but he's one of those that is has such a reputation outside of the <laughs> industry as a jerk that like, yeah. it's hard for me to get past that now. Yeah. Um, but he's been in some of my favorite movies and he's played some of my favorite characters. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe it's one of those things where he's able to kind of turn it on, connect with the camera, connect with an audience in that way. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, his, if, if, if that is true about his personality outside of, uh, of, of movies, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's, it's the craft of an actor to create this feeling of friend friendliness Mm -hmm. or familiarity or someone that you feel like you already know, or that certainly you would want to know. Um, have you ever read any of this uh, stuff about him? Not really. No, you know, I, I do. Um, I, you know, I've, I followed his Twitter for a long time and he's, he's very, very active on there. Yeah. Super political, very very, very liberal, you know, outspoken politically Uh and, um, but but I mean, uh, you know, my impression from from him online anyway is that he's at least in the online forum, he's very like accessible and down to earth. And, you know, he's always replying to people and kind of like um, retweeting stuff. And I mean, he seems very conversational. Some people approach social media as more of like uh, a one sided kind of thing where they're just shooting stuff out. And yeah like banking on their celebrity for people to see it or whatever and not really having a conversation. But he seems to really engage with people, even if he has his, his perspective that he's not really deviating from, let's say, um, I don't know in online anyway, he doesn't, he doesn't come off that way to me, but I mean, people come off differently online than they do in real life. So that's not a big surprise. Yeah. I mean, it's up to you whether or not you want to go down this rabbit hole. Um, but (laughs) if you, there are some stories out there that are so crazy, you, you think like, can this be true? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, like cra- I've talked about this on the show with Noel before. Crazy stuff like uh, being in a, a luxury box at a Cubs game and like throwing chicken wings at people that pissed him off and like wow <laughs> just this just look up john cusack crazy behavior Stories. or jerk yeah and yeah, it's, yeah there yeah. are a ton of them and there's so many that you got to think like this has got to be grounded in some truth here where there's smoke there's fire kind of yeah thing, unless like right? everyone just got together and decided they wanted to ruin john cusack <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's there are those there are those people that, that you hear stories about where that they're they're super difficult to work with, yeah. or you know, off camera they're they're a nightmare and so on. Um, yeah, I don't know what to uh, what to think. Well, I love um, his work, so you know. Yeah, you know, it's it's um, with with Cusack. I think um, even even looking at some of these uh, behind the scenes interviews and stuff, um, there's there's a certain kind of. Um, I don't know, prickliness to it, mm-hmm. um, that, that you can get, you can get just a sense of that, um, would, would give me pause to like, want to meet him and like, you know, yeah. hang out in person or something. I would, um, it, it would definitely be sort of a, be careful what you wish for sort of thing. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe it's better to just stick with the, what, what he's able to create on screen, you know? Yeah. Don't do it, Casey. Uh, yeah, yeah. Then you get to the end of the film. That great record release party scene is just pure joy. Everyone gets their moment. Um, you have Dick and Anna. You get this great uh, moment with uh, with Rob DJing, like back in his element. He's yeah. produced this thing. Um, Jack Black gets to shine, and he gets to <laughs> yes. showcase that great voice. And, yes. and everyone's just like, I'm like, you know, especially Rob is just like, my God, he can actually do this. He actually has a, Who knew? a talent. Yeah. So right, it's really right, right. kind of a great way to end the film. Um, and the last thing you see is the, the only selfless act in the entire film from him is in the final 60 seconds when he is making that tape for Laura. And he says, I'm making things that I think she would like. Yeah. And not just yeah. what I think would be cool to expose her to. Right. And like his ultimate redemption comes in the last 45 seconds of this movie. It's interesting. Yeah, he's 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 finally gotten out of that frame of like taste um, and and opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny what he what he says at the very beginning of the film, practically to to Jack Black. He's like, "How can it be wrong to express an opinion?" You know, yeah. when when he's saying, uh, "Well, that guy's opinion is wrong," uh-huh. or whatever. You know, uh, that guy had shitty taste. Um, it, it takes him that long to to really internalize that lesson yeah. and and just realize like people can like what they like. You know. Yeah. And, and if you really are this like musical guru that you hold yourself up as you ought to be able to, um, recognize what somebody else is into Mm -hmm. and, and, and craft something that will really work for them as opposed to just trying to bend them to your own, you know, uh, idiosyncratic kind of, uh, taste. So again, it's, it's, it's him like expanding that circle of, of awareness and, and, um, yeah, just be becoming like a real partner as opposed to this kind of like closed off narcissistic, uh, selfish guy. Yeah. What do you think? I guess the big question, um, here at the end is where, where are Rob and Laura in five years? I mean, I, I think they're in it for the long haul personally. I guess I'm kind of an optimist that way, but yeah, I feel like, um, I feel like things are going to, they're going to work out for, for them. I think, um, does he have a record label? You know, she, she kind of she kind of laughs at him when when he does the proposal, yeah. but I feel like at the same time, like um, that that is where they're headed. Um, 
I think I think the label could could uh, could kind of uh, take off. Maybe yeah. you know, um, he's just uh, he's sort of like um, coming into his own a little bit yeah. by the end of the film. I think I think he's um, he's finally um, putting into the world stuff that was just bouncing around in his head for yeah. all those years, and um, you know, coupled with a with a new kind of self awareness. Yeah. That um, that's going to make him, um, you know, a formidable kind of uh, person in that in that world. All right, I, I can uh, I can buy the optimism. Where do you th- where, where uh, do you have a slightly more uh, I don't know down to earth pessimistic? Well, take? I mean, there's there's two ways it goes. You know, he's either uh, in his like let's say it's now it's 2020 20 years on. Mm-hmm. He's either uh, in his uh, late 40s, early 50s. Owns that record shop that is uh, hurting because of new media. Yeah, of course. Right. Uh, single and sleeping with young girls that uh, are not fulfilling him emotionally. Right. Uh, and only put out that one EP 20 years ago. <laughs> or he's married with Laura. He has a cool little indie label. The record shop is being run by Barry and Dick that he still owns. Right. Yes. And they live in like a suburb of Chicago with a couple of cool exactly. kids. Yeah. And he realizes that it's not settling to do that. Yeah. That he's, that he's, he's, yeah, exactly. He's come to realize that that's not, um, somehow losing yeah. in the game of life. That is, that is what it looks like to mature and to become a, a grown up and a relationship and that's right. have a family and all that. Um, yeah, I can, I can totally see the, the, the more pessimistic version as well. And it's hard to say which, which of the true, which of the two would be, uh, the outcome here because it really relies on information we don't quite have. Well, I think um, one is, uh, I think the previous version is perhaps alcoholic and uh, and headed toward lung cancer as well. Like, yeah, the, the, sure, the first sure. version is not a happy version of, no, of his no. life. The second one, yeah, he, he quits smoking and he has children and like that's that's called growing up. That's what people should aspire yeah. to do. There is no nobility in being the cool single 50 year old who uh, who's after a 22 year old girl that comes into his record store. That's not cool. It's a sad thing. I mean, you know, going to shows around Atlanta, um, I don't go to shows as much anymore, but when I was like, you know, 18 high school, like in college, that kind of thing. Um, you would definitely see like quote unquote, the old guy at shows, you know, uh, that was me, the Casey. guy that would, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, maybe so, maybe so, but I mean, I don't think you were I don't think you were necessarily putting out the same kind of no. the wrong kind of old guy energy, let's say. No, I'd like to think uh, of putting the, out great old guy energy. The the guy, the guy who who is is 50 going on 20 kind of thing. Yeah. Um that that is an uncomfortable energy to to be around, you know. I'm 50 going on um, 70. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you want to you want to go upward, you don't want to go backward. Um, you want to, you want to advance, not regress. That's right. But yeah, I mean that, that is, that is a type that, that I observed and, and I guess probably made some kind of impression on me. Like, um, that's, that's not where you want to be like this sadly youth and, 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 and coolness and, and, and all that has something of an expiration date, Mm -hmm. even though I, I do think there are, there are certainly figures that I look to who have like advanced into their older age and have remained relevant and cool mm-hmm. and everything. Um, I don't know. They, sadly, like the first name that came into my head just then was Thurston Moore, but I mean, that didn't work out so great. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> but I mean, in terms of somebody that is like 
you know, still like collecting like obscure tapes into like his whatever his fifties yeah. and, and, and still being excited about new music and everything. Um, there are, there are people who, who manage that trick and who don't just kind of become frozen in like what was cool mm-hmm. 20, 30 years ago. And that's, that's a trap that I try to escape from. Yeah. And it's not the easiest thing either because, um, whether it's, whether it's a, a film or, or, a, an album or whatever, um, if something is like 20 or 30 years old and I haven't heard of it, my interest is peaked yeah. like automatically. I'm like, Oh, it's, it came out like 91. That could be good. You know, whereas something from 2020, I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know what, what is this? You know, yeah. um, you kind of, uh, I don't know, you, you risk becoming fixed in place mm-hmm. sometimes. Uh, I think it's a natural, um, characteristic of aging, but, um, I don't know, something, something to be navigated carefully because you also don't want to be like i said the the old guy who's just trying to hang on to being cool being young yeah casey i think uh in closing here uh, there is nothing cooler than getting to the age where um you're confident in what you like and what you love and what you don't like and who you love and you don't judge what other people love and like and uh, that's a great place to end up at. And that's where I yeah. eventually ended up. It took me a while, but because um, I struggle with that stuff too. But uh, that's where I feel like I am now. Absolutely. It's a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a sign of maturity, like we said. Yep. Um, there's, there's more important stuff in the world than liking the right records or movies or, or whatever. Straight. As, as much as that stuff is great. But um, yeah, it really is more what you are like than what you like, yeah, per se. Absolutely. All right, man. Good stuff. That was a good chat. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. This was fun. This uh, this felt like uh, actually getting out of the house in yeah, a right? virtual fashion. But um, yeah, I mean, I've not had too many other extended conversations with people outside these four walls for quite some time. So this was great. Yeah, why do you think Adam and I talked about Magnolia for two hours? <laughs> well, because it's a three-hour movie and it's a fucking masterpiece. But other than that, No, yes. this is fun, man. We both need this. And it was great seeing your face and talking to you, as always, my friend. And uh, yes. let's get it together again for a couple of weeks from now. Because uh, Absolutely. I'll, you know where I'll be? I'll be here. <laughs> as as will I. And I need it. I, I definitely need these conversations. All right. So good job, look brother. to it. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening, and uh, we will see you in your ear holes next week. Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.